Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the Backlog Podcast number 55. And today we got a chance to sit down with Battle Athlete and talked about streaming, our favorite 90s Capcom games, what got him into the FGC. I hope you enjoy this episode. The the original Street Fighter, I actually like the live action Street Fighter 2 movie. It's charming in all the wrong ways. Well, yeah, because that was Jean-Claude Van Damme when he's, he when he was like, he was in full cocaine mode. Full cocaine mode? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, you didn't know that? That was a big thing. I did dude. not know that. Absolutely, dude. He was like big into the fucking cocaine in the nineties, man. Whoa. Jean Claude? I didn't I didn't know. He was he was my hero for the longest time. But uh he shouldn't be. I'm just saying he did cocaine. I'm just saying, dude, there there's a reason why he could do those splits. And it wasn't it wasn't through training. Yeah. You don't have to be them. <laughs> full, full sheer of will of uh, the cocaine. For JC, he doesn't remember working on that. He doesn't remember working on the Street Fighter 2 movie. Uh, somebody in the chat just said, uh, yeah, on TikTok, they said, of course. By the way, we are, we are uh, dual streaming here on Twitch and TikTok. So uh, somebody in the chat, you don't see. But on TikTok, Retro says, uh, JPCD, yeah, doesn't remember working on the movie, which is wild. I didn't know it was that bad. That sounds like some uh, some Stephen King type shit that he was going through. The saddest thing we'll never get is just a documentary on all the shenanigans that happened in 90s action movies. Because I bet it was insane. I bet it was almost like a wrestling locker room. Like just, just dumb shenanigans all the time. Uh, and just magic. Just absolute magic. I've heard um, stories of like, um, like, what is it? Like Steve, uh, uh, Steven Seagal and um, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and like all these like action stars at a party together and like they tried to get Steven Seagal to fight <laughs> each other and like, I don't know. It just sounds like a whole lot of drama. We got a dark side of wrestling. I need a dark side of '90s action movies. Like I, I'm, I'm guessing it's just it was. Oh, it's dark. it's oh man, it's so it's so dark. It's just yeah, it's basically like doing cocaine constantly, just as you need that energy at all times. Well, Full blown. Yeah. What one thing I will say about that the live action movie that's a change that I wish they just kept in all American adaptations of Street Fighter is uh, taking the name Shadowloo and just calling it Shadow Law. That sounds so much cooler. Shadow Law is such a better name. Shadow Law is a better yeah. name. Yeah. Shadow Lou sounds like you're about to go use the restroom and then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I gotta go use the Shadow Lou. <laughs> I gotta go use the Shadow Lou. <laughs> 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 you're just on the toilet. Damn you, Ed Bison! <laughs> <laughs> just like a fucking bidet. <laughs> oh my god. Like, Shadow Law is such a cooler just name for an evil organization and it's a crime that they never just took that from the american adaptation around with it yeah i, I probably I, wanted to stay faithful or something i i think they actually had said something about that in wait did they call it shadow law in in the animated movie too yeah they did they called it shadow law in the, in the street fighter 2 anime movie it's just better it's just a better name <laughs> <laughs> Wait. They also replaced the soundtrack. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's, it's kind of a, it's weird. We're we're gonna go over it when we do the retrospective, and we'll talk about all like the the changes between, uh, not all of the changes, but we're gonna go over some some of the changes between the the regions, 
in the uh the u.s version to the uk version and even the japanese version they all have like specific and sometimes strange choices in in what they did like for example in the u.s here we have like uh pg-13 right but in europe they have like 15 so like people from the age 15 and up can so it's like a like they can add like a like a slight bit more i think in in like what they can allow isn't this the one when like Chun-Li's shirt gets ripped in half by Vega and like you, you see some like it, depending on which version you, you might see a little little, little toddy? No, well that's like in the shower scene. Just before the fight there's a shower yeah. scene and there's three different versions, dude. There's like Yeah. Yeah, dude. There's like the North the original North American version which was cut and cut out like the boob and the butt scenes. Then there's a quote unquote fully uncensored uncut version on DVD in North America where they show like uh, the butt and like part of the boobs or something like that. that and then there's like the actual Blu-ray where they took the Japanese version, filled in the audio, and actually stitched it together. And you actually get the full uncut Japanese version where there's like just like yeah, all these crazies. There's like three different versions of the movie. Yeah. In America. Bam. So much effort just to get the, the boobies back in. I respect it. <laughs> actually, so to give you like a little bit of perspective. In, from what I hear, so in the U.S. version, we show Chun-Li's butt. Obviously, in the Japanese version, they show everything. Right. In the European version, they show Chun-Li's boobs, but not her butt. And oh, so, <laughs> no, I watched the, I, I did some research on it for the retrospective. Research, so, so, <laughs> no, but... So, so from perspective, so, so confirmed, uh, US, US or ass men confirmed, uh, you heard it here first. Absolutely. Uh, just Americans like shy away less from the butt than they do the boobs. European, Europeans are about the boobs, apparently. Uh, that's like an interesting, like, sociological study, though. Like, is it because the media allows butts but not boobs? I, I don't know. But there's actually a, a video that was really helpful going over the differences between each regions. And it's really good. I'm, I'm going to link it in the description of this video when it goes up on YouTube or or even on the podcast, if you guys want to take a look at that. Um, but that was like one of the, the things that they talked about was it shows like a different uh, amount of uh, of of uh, whatever it is, like exposure to Chun-Li. Um, but then there's there's actually a um, there's the Japanese version, which is crazy. But they they have like longer cuts of everything. Like the movie's like I think two minutes longer, which is kind of weird. Exactly right. That's why the Blu-ray is the actual fully uncut version because they actually yeah. had to redo the audio because there's like scenes where Ryu's walking down an alleyway. Yeah. Where they were afraid the pacing would. They wouldn't retain your attention, so they they cut that that him walking down the alley like short, and they cut like this the, establishing shot. It short. There's a lot of like there's a lot of as, as much as I love that movie, there's a lot of filler in in the actual full fledged movie of Street Fighter the animated movie. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's weird that they're like no 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 we got to cut this like two minutes seems sort of arbitrary in. Um, but I get it because, like, you know, when you have stuff like Dragon Ball Z, where 
you know, you hear about the regional differences between episodes where like they were scared to death of pauses in the US. So they would have like characters grunt a lot or say lines while they're like Goku's off screen or something like that. Um, yeah, they, they don't want like they don't want the uh, they're they're afraid to keep things quiet. They, they, yeah. Like they constantly have to jingle keys in front of you or something, Ex especially for kids. Yeah, especially for kids. Like, I think that was, like, specifically what they said in the U.S. They were, like, worried that kids won't have the attention span, even though children in Japan love Dragon Balls. So you're just insulting your U.S. audience by, you know, saying those kinds of things or doing them. But um, well, they didn't really have much of one, to be honest. Anime was super niche in the yeah. 90s, man. Like, outside of, like, random channels that you would catch, like, in the middle of the night, like the anime block on Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. You know, there was just like it just wasn't playing anywhere. You just it, you just assume it was some like really cool looking cartoon. Um, battle athlete, I'm assuming you're our age then, right? You must be. Oh yeah, I'm I'm old as hell. Uh, I am I am 34. No, how, I stopped how, counting after 30. Uh, 30. <laughs> uh, how how old are you, uh, battle athlete? You don't have to say if you if you don't want to. No, I'm 37. Oh, whoa. Okay, so then you do remember. You probably remember better than I do. Uh, but I remember when, um, uh, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel played anime on Saturday mornings or, you know, anime was just so new in that kind of era that, you know, it it was like it, it was hard to get a hold of anime. And it was at the time where, you know, I, I know I remember assuming all anime was good. Does anybody oh, remember yeah, assuming that? Like, where it's like, oh, yeah, this has to be good. It's anime. It's just like yeah, Street Fighter 2, the animated movie. My hands on. Exactly. It was just like any anime I could get my hands on. And I would just like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Look how good the cartoon. And it, and it felt like this niche thing that you would attach your personality to. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's funny. I go back and look at my collection. And I'm like 90% of the stuff that I collected, like, DVD-wise and, like, VHS-wise. I'm like, this is garbage. <laughs> Yeah, I would like, never watch cool. this again. This yeah. is terrible. Like for like, I remember like absolutely <clears throat> loving uh, the American version of Card Captors, like Saturday morning cartoon or whatever. Like I go home and watch it. I'm like this is the greatest thing ever. Like thank you Japan. I remember then, that. Like, when I hear about like oh no, like the actual Japanese version is an entirely different, much darker show. They stripped yeah. out half of it just to like make it a kid show for America. Like, mm -hmm. oh. yeah, same thing with One Piece. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember it was, um, I, if I heard correctly, I think Card Captors in Japan is more like Slice of Life, you know, uh, isn't, isn't it more Slice of Life? I think it's like more Slice of Life, like, you know, day to day, like action is like a part of it, but it's not the main aspect of Card Captors. Card Captor in Japan allows you to soak in the atmosphere and like not berate you with like music and loud noises and a lot of talking it'll like just have her skating with no dialogue you know and yeah just like soaking in like there'll be birds chirping and just like ambient music or something like that but then you like watch the american version it's like blaring <laughs> poppy music and she'll be having inner monologues while she skates and yeah you know all this stuff they just don't they don't they're too afraid to let it sit still like they don't want the animation to sell itself they just you know they're too afraid that they have to you know retain your attention also it's like it creates like a, a totally different experience for the show because they like in america they kind of build it as like an action show like oh yeah she's having 
so much fun on these adventures fighting evil and in the Japanese show it's like no she'd rather be chilling with her friends she also has to fucking save the world <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah I think it, it was kind of wild because I remember like watching anime or you watch like Dragon Ball Z or, or like even Street Fighter 2 the animated movie and then it's like Man, anime must be the coolest thing ever. Why didn't we get this? And then you realize, like, no, 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 you're being hand-fed the good stuff. And, and it's because it's such a new medium that, you know, for the most part, companies or, you know, unless it's like Kids WB or or whatever it may be. <laughs> Not Kids WB, yeah. Is it Kids WB? Yeah, yeah it like would just, you know... Four kids, yeah. Yeah, we would just kind of like hand feed you the good stuff, like give you Dragon Ball Z or, you know, Street Fighter the Animated Movie. It's like, man, all action scenes in Japan must be this good. And it's like, no. Yeah, I feel like that's also a big part of people being like, oh man, anime used to be so much better. But you were, you know, kind of like you were saying, you were being spoon fed the best stuff. Like, here comes Ninja Scroll, Akira, Ghost in the Shell, you know, the big names or whatever. But. You know, people are quick to forget the garbage shows too. You know, like forgot. Remember the bad ones. Like garbage shows from the '90s are probably like, oh yeah, like this. This DVD sold 500 copies, and you'll never see it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not even thought about anymore. Yeah, Just, that's exactly. Yeah. Um, there's still there's still great stuff that comes out today, though. Like yeah. uh, I was definitely at one point of the mindset where I'm just like, man, they don't make them like they used to, and I still I still stand that there's the classics and the legendaries like sure. from back in the day but today it's like there's some like incredible animation like uh so like cyberpunk edge runners or um uh bubble i think it was called the one with the parkour and a post and, and like a uh post-apocalyptic tokyo that was on that netflix was like, right yeah i really liked it a lot but uh you know my point being is that there's a lot of incredibly impressive animation for today it's just you know you just gotta find them I would say the animation in terms of visuals is still very cool. Uh, again, I, I still miss the hand-drawn media. What I yeah. Is that, like a lot, it's prohibitively expensive nowadays, especially on the timeline they have to make anime on. Um, my biggest thing is that like it feels like because anime has gotten so popular, maybe it was always this way. Maybe it's just my bias of seeing a lot of what just comes out <clears> of <throat> Crunchyroll. Like they definitely feel like the target audience is that like. 13 through like 21 range oh, and the totally. farther i get out from that but i'm like oh i wish i had more anime for adults like they used to be but there really isn't so I oh that's so true i gotta I pretend i'm in high that. school <laughs> it's terrible that's so true man it's, it's yeah. targeting teenagers with like uh, like i didn't realize it at the time but a lot of like tna or or like titillating animation or like the fan service scenes you don't realize that that's like basically targeting that demographic where that like heavily retains your attention. Cause then as an adult, you're just kind of like, you know, you're like, Oh, here comes the trope. You know, you kind of like some a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's supposed to, <coughs> that stuff is supposed to uh, target you. Yeah. But, um, you know, like, you're like that grizzled veteran smoking a cigarette. Like no, this isn't my first <laughs> school girl. Like, Please go to the next scene. <laughs> exactly oh it's like i've been around the block i've seen i've seen a couple of things here comes that trope again been here done that i watched air gear a few times Ooh, air gear man the best thing about that was the opening and closing themes from back on those were so good i just, so that's another thing i think it's really interesting how like culture and media overlaps because like we had that brief like early 2000s period of like 
I don't even know what we know to call it, but it was like neo hip hop or neo jazz was like the biggest influence in like Japanese music or culture. So we got like our Jet Set Radio Futures, our Air Gears, our like amazing like drum and bass soundtracks and stuff that was like that. And like that, like I feel like culture completely died. And now it's just like we're trying to go back to that era. Like there's that new like Jet Set game that's coming out, which I hope is amazing. But it's just oh, like, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk? Yeah, Bomb yeah. Rush Cyberfunk, which I'm super excited about. But like amazing. I just. Every time I see something like that, it's like, bro, I just want a time machine to go back in o- to 04, bro. Can I do that? Can we do that, please? Oh, man. That's going to be so good. Though. Like, the, I, I watched like 30 minutes of gameplay of that, and I'm sold. At first, I was being cynical, and I was like, I don't know. I, I've seen a lot of quote unquote Jet Set Radio successor games coming oh. out, but, uh, you know, they always end up coming out, and they're like, they're okay, but it's not really the same. But this one actually looks like it's it's actually going to be the real. Lethal yeah. League plays. I'll give my money to anything Team Reptile does. Like, I love Lethal League, man. That game's so fun. I've never played it with another person, but boy, it's fun. It's a good game, oh, man. You get four people. If you get you and three other friends playing Lethal League, oh my yeah. god, dude, it is so fun. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like it, it's like comforting when I'm like, oh, yeah, Team Reptile's making it. It's it's going to be fine because yeah, you did, did do a great job. You you I, I don't know what it is. It just like when you have faith in a company, I've never I've never had more faith in a company than, you know, Team Reptile. And especially when you see actually what they're making, it's like, you know, they get it. They understand what they're doing. They, they understand. And, um, you know, Jet Set feels like. It's one of those things where it's like so many people know about how good it is, but it never really got the wings. I feel like it it did. It should have gotten in the United States. Um, but those games are really fun, man. I remember like burning uh, like CDs for my Dreamcast of Jet Set Radio. And uh, that's how I experienced quite a bit, like how I got into fighting games, I would say heavily was through my Dreamcast and being able to burn games to it. Oh man, that's part of the reason that supposedly killed the system or something like that. It was just too easy to like. Their encryption got games. cracked real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a shame, um, but also at the same time, it was like it allowed people to try out some games they probably wouldn't have. Had. Well, I mean, uh, to to be you know fair, I'll say this: I was burning games for the Dreamcast well after it was dead. Um. Oh, when the well, then yeah, that's kind of different too. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like the guy in the kid in 1999 or, you know, 2000 oh, and his soft burning, Dreamcast <laughs> burning Dreamcast games. I wasn't that guy. Black market. Um, when I had I my had dream friend that did that, he, he would actually <clears throat> burn discs and then sell them to kids at high school. Dude, That's genius. It was, Hustle. Yeah, it was, <laughs> that was a scumbag douchebag. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, uh, give me like. 10 or 20 bucks and I'll give you like five Dreamcast games. You, you want Power Stone, buddy? I love it. Like he just opens his trench coat and he's got like CDs. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. It's the only reason I actually have a disc copy of like Sonic Adventure 2 demo version where Sonic is, has his original shoes. It's because he uh, he burned me like a Sonic Adventure 2 disc. Oh. And uh, and then and it was just like the demo and I was like, oh, that's sick. <laughs> So, see, a part of me like was hoping you'd say, "Well, he's a douchebag, but he's my douchebag, and he burned me those no, games." <laughs> I didn't, no, we weren't cool like that. He was okay. a guy I knew. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So when you say friend, you mean like that in very loose terms, like not a guy I knew. I, I said that for simplicity. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, Associate. 
Sure. I knew a guy. He sold me some uh, burned game once. We don't talk anymore, but I appreciate the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like, man, the Dreamcast really, for for one hundred percent, the Dreamcast opened up my eyes to fighting games and VC two, baby. MVC2, um, I didn't know CVS2 was actually on that until like years later. I, I had originally owned it on the PS2, which is crazy when you think about how expensive that is now. Mm-hmm. Was it like 50 bucks, like over 50 bucks now to buy like CVS2? Oh, dude, it's got to be way more than that. I don't know if you've seen retro prices. They have quadrupled. It's actually crazy. I there, it, it honestly is so discouraging uh, that I don't want to put money in someone's pocket that is doing that to people um and it it, it hurts my yeah. feelings to say that i can but, go both ways because i'm like if they're selling if they're not if it's not a copy if they're not just doing a repro and it's the original disc i respect someone who's kept their stuff in good condition sure like, i respect someone who's like actually like yeah this game is 15 year old zero old but like i kept the booklet in working order i kept the disc in working order you can have the case it looks nice i'm like you know what they deserve they deserve a decent amount of money just for that like not crazy prices like i don't want to be paying 90 dollars for a kirby air ride well it's not like they own it themselves like i'm talking namely about like retro video game stores where they go to every garage sale and every flea market pick up all of the uh games you want video game stuff for pennies on the dollar and then jack up the price yeah yeah that's not 100 250 dollars Dude, I remember going into I remember the first moment when I was like horrified by by that is I went into uh, I live used to live in Connecticut and I went to this retro game store there and it was like, oh, yeah, it's Dreamcast. It was 50 bucks like three months before I went back. It was like 90 bucks for a Dreamcast. And I'm like, bro, these things like how are you? How are you charging $90 for Dreamcast? Like it, it, it's to the point where now if I buy something, I'm like, I'm going to buy the Japanese version of this Dreamcast. It's like $40. And then and then I'm going to go, you know, whatever I'll buy. I'll, I'll make burn discs for it. I don't care. I'm not giving somebody like a hundred dollars emulator. I've been the, hearing about those. The GDEMU. Mm-hmm, I think that's what they're called. Yes, there. And then and then somebody cloned that 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 uh, that disk drive. It's it, so the, the thing is, is if it's a disk drive or if it's um, the optical uh, emulator, whatever it is, it um, it's not emulation technically because it's just pulling the ROM off of the through a. Um, a uh, I'm right. sorry. Instead of reading the the information from the disc it's reading it from something digitally so, yeah like it's not emulating because you're using the actual hardware but that's how right. it's getting the information it needs yeah i mean and you know obviously like for me it's sort of like i would rather much rather do it that way than play it on like red dream or something like that because then you have like the thing where, are you talking about the thing where you can actually print out the rom on something because i think i heard about that the other day where like they were taking mario roms and like printing them out on paper or something like that and like or something it was something insane where they were just like yes this is the game it's just not in a cd anymore um no so there's like, like um you know i feel like an optical drive like a like a, a disc reader right mm-hmm. so you remove that and you in that disc drive you plug in a like a little chip that will read games off of micro sd card oh, cool. so as long as you have it in the correct file format 
it will pull the game from it and it will boot it up in real hardware like it was playing a real game everything's like already preloaded it runs without it's it's just like it's a one-to-one to like playing on a disc it's probably even faster actually uh because right. it, it doesn't have to like actively read a disc to be able to like pull the information which and i feel like um oh go ahead no no, no. Uh, it's just that um this the problem with disc readers is that well first of all it's old technology and then you know second of all those games are now getting disc rot so not only is your console dying but your discs are dying too That's which exactly is exactly what i was about to say was yeah. uh that uh, in the future i think it's the consoles themselves that'll actually be worth a lot of money but the actual games and discs are uh like you said disc rot is happening even if they're in good conditions like if they're in storage they're definitely like probably already rotted but like if they're uh even in good conditions like those those discs are eventually gonna succumb to disc rot and not be worth anything outside of their box art and just for sentimental and physical value you know yeah and and which is which is another reason why i don't um i don't do and, and i don't pay you know a scalper for that stuff because not only is you know first of all the money going to their pocket and only their pocket you know instead of like capcom's pocket or whoever the hell it's uh the discs are also dying too and if you're not maintaining your hardware properly then that's gonna die as well and uh the only advice i would i would give to someone who is into having retro consoles is that you can pay a professional modder to re uh cap your console which will you know give it a lot more life because really what happens is a lot of times is the caps inside your console will die first and then that will get capacitors will and then that will like kind of cause a chain reaction to ruin other things inside of your console so if you if you keep your console recapped and pay somebody to do that it's relatively not too too expensive you know if you do it like every like six months or so you pay somebody 60 maybe 90 dollars to recap a you know a uh something that's really volatile like that sega saturn over there that uh is uh just basically a brick now uh but i i would highly recommend that especially if you have something that like sega saturns are really bad about dying like this is my second sega sat i'm gonna have to get a third one right all because i didn't like go ahead and get it recapped you know the picture went on on this saturn so you know i gotta oh, start I from the ground up saturn from when i was in middle school and then i bought a white japanese sega saturn a couple years like was it that maybe sounds like crisp. nice man yeah, I, I have my original uh, Dreamcast still, but I, I, like it's always in the the problem is it's always in the back of my mind. Like, when's it gonna go? You know what I mean? Mm, that's true. Like, uh, eventually it's gotta give. Was it every the Saturn? Every time it turned on. Wasn't the Saturn wasn't the first like consoles with like an internet too as well? Like, not a lot of people had an internet, but I thought it had like a web browser. Uh, no, pretty sure that was Dreamcast. I think I think it was Dreamcast, but I think maybe what you're thinking of with a Saturn is it has like a like a connector port in the back so you can like link two Saturns together yeah it had some like weird networking thing that was like new at the time I can't remember what no it was. I don't I don't think I had any internet access whatsoever pretty sure that was Dreamcast any uh, any and even if it did it was most likely just a Japanese game because God knows that in the US 
no Saturn games were supported that well. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't get like even half the amount of games that Japan got, which is a shame because the Saturn has some banging games on it. Um, it really does, man. So I, and they, I just, and they work really well on the Saturn, too. Like, they're, they're very, very difficult to emulate. Yeah. yeah. So I just looked it up because I remember the commercial. There was a thing called Sega Netlink. It was an attachment for the Sega Saturn. It came out in 1996. So, like, it gave you email and, like, I think 28.8 internet, if you want to call it. KB internet, if you want to call it internet. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, oh, yeah, a thing those, that nobody had. <laughs> well, yeah, those, those kinds of extensions even existed for a Super Nintendo. Yeah. Really? Oh wait, was it? Is that like the uh, Satellaview, like the thing that plugged into the bottom of your your uh, Nintendo, and then like it gave you like satellite, like you could download that the different versions of like Link to the I'm Past. Sure. I'm sure it was like super like just minimal bandwidth, whatever. Yeah, but, it was like yeah. a yeah, it was like a cartridge or something. I remember watching a video of it. I think it was like a Pro Jared video, and I watched it like years ago or something. But it was like. The most bare bones like who would use this i can't imagine like a bank accountant using his super nintendo for the for this like well i gotta check my email yeah yeah my super (laughs) nintendo (laughs) that sounds like the most japanese thing ever like only in japan would would people use use like uh a super nintendo to check their email or something like that i don't know ahead of the curb living the dream of the 90s (laughs) Yeah, salary man your friends you're like yeah man uh check my emails on my super nintendo <laughs> no big you're deal. just you're really trying to impress your friends that like don't care anymore <laughs> right <real>. like, <laughs> like those kids that wore those portable headsets like the r zone or something like that like you're supposed to be at, like walking around school with this like headband and this thing attached to your eye like you're a space pirate from the future oh my god you're like yeah man ask me about what i'm doing right now <laughs> <laughs> please please do it please ask me please kid is like pro level in wall street kid he's gonna be like a trader one day just (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so uh oh by the way we we forgot to do introductions uh so yo guys welcome to the backlog podcast number 55 uh i'm matt august uh battle athlete Battle Where's athlete, the <laughs> just like Here, I, I'm gonna have to add that to the uh, the title. Uh, if I miss the question mark, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> question mark. So uh, so battle athlete, why don't you tell us a little about yourself uh, and what you do, man? Uh, I've been streaming on Twitch since like 2014. I uh, got partnered at like near the end of 2014 and been streaming like ever since for a while i was making uh, i was consistently making like youtube videos in like 2015 2016 for like a year or so and then uh mostly playing like fighting games and honestly whatever i feel like playing anything anything from like horror games to racing games to like platformers you know um yeah i just i just been existing on the internet you know just uh i'm also uh a former marine uh disabled veteran oh, hell yeah. just hanging out and playing video games and mostly fighters lately i've always been playing fighting games but it's sort of been my focus for like the like more recently i think happy pre-memorial day oh uh, yeah it's memorial it's memorial day weekend yeah, yeah exactly. indeed sir i get, I get uh, the day off tomorrow i'm so excited oh yeah uh so uh can you tell us like kind of 
what was the point? And obviously we're, you know, we're a fighting game podcast, but we kind of talk a little bit about everything and there's no stress. You know, we don't have to talk about fighting games, but hey, what? <laughs> but let's talk about fighting games. So no pressure. No time. Tell us. So how did you how did you get into playing fighters, man? Um, man, it, it goes pretty far back. You, you, you know, this actually circles back around to uh, watching anime in the 90s. Hell yeah. Uh, when I was in middle school, I was like channel surfing uh, in the summer. And then I, I came across that sci-fi, sci-fi anime block at like whatever in the morning. And they were and I had caught the last part of Fatal Fury, the movie, the anime. Oh, man, that's where, so good. Yeah, dude. I've and never I didn't seen even, that. Oh, it's 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 pretty sick. Uh, it's deliciously cheesy, and 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 the fight scenes are like varying in animation styles. But I caught the last part with uh, Terry Bogard fighting uh, Jammin, and uh, he's like he's like doing the burn knuckle and like that whole last fight scene. And I was like, holy crap! This is the coolest cartoon I've ever seen. I was like, Terry Bogard, Fatal Fury. I think I've heard of that game, and like. I was like, I, I just really wanted to play Terry Bogard like in a fighting game, the same way that Street Fighter Two, the anime movie, made me want to like kind of play Street Fighter. But uh, so I tried to order a copy of Fatal Fury on Genesis um, off this magazine, and they sent them my money, and they never sent me the damn game. <laughs> wow, <laughs> really? Oh, savage. Yeah, I got scammed. I was like, oh man. So uh, what I did is I went to a local arcade, and they had Capcom versus SNK One. And I was Ooh. like, oh, there's Terry Bogard. So I started learning how to play Terry Bogard. I would do Buster Wolf. And uh, every time I did Buster Wolf, I just, it was hyped up in my head because I had seen the anime where he did like Hyper Knuckle and Burn Knuckle. So I'm just like in my head, like, yeah, Burn Knuckle, yeah. And it's just like <laughs> feeling it. I'm like in the arcade, like, just like feeling myself so hard from watching the anime. And then, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of grew from there. I, I I met some friends in high school that uh, that actually played competitively. So I stopped playing casually at that point because, you know, they they were playing serious and you want to get some wins. And the best way to, like, force you to get force somebody to get better is have the friends around them be uh, better as well. And that, like, lifts you up and forces you to get better. So, yeah, next thing you know, I'm getting Marvel vs. Capcom 2 strategy guides and uh, I'm, I'm playing Marvel and Capcom vs. SNK and Guilty Gear and and then I, I started learning Tekken around Tekken 4 and uh, yeah man it just started kind of going from there slowly but sure and I started branching out to more and more games and then you know then with the birth of like competitive fighting games online with like Street Fighter 4 like like 10 years later like it just it became like a big thing with online you know so much yeah like everyone's playing and it got super competitive and yeah man i just uh i got hooked from beyond that man um for sure man i i think i for me it was actually i'll say this it was it was cbs2 that like brought me back into it so i kind of relate to that man cbs was was a uh, cbs2 is great i don't say i don't know i don't know too much about cbs1 CBS one it's is like I missed different it. Beast. Is it very different beast? Yeah, it's a four button layout instead of six. Uh, so like if you want to do crouching mid kick with Ryu, you can't just you have to do down back heavy. I think it is. Whoa. Or no, down forward heavy for 
for mid kick. If you want to do a sweep, like a crouching roundhouse, you got to do down back. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's a little bit more technical, but it's got some of the most impressive presentation I've ever seen. Like they have stage intros and transitions and like, yeah, it's just, it's just a beautiful game. Um, yeah, man, I think like the one thing I do know about CVS one, it, it is the most beautiful, like it is probably the best looking Capcom fighting game, or if it's not the best looking, it's one of them in terms of presentation. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, just the music and the stage transitions alone. They have like one that looks like an outrun video game, but then there's a car accident and then the fight is taking place on a burning freeway with like cars on fire in the background. And it just it's just incredible music. And yeah, I could gush about it for a while, but it's great. I I think I've now hesitated like two times to not quote Terry Bogard when you were talking (laughs) because because you said uh, get serious and then you said burning so i was like i wanted to i so like the problem is with people like sh- say burning i just want to yell burning, burning. Get, get serious and then it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah pretty much uh it's a uh, it's it's kind of it's a uh, i need to see help for it but um but yeah man so that that's really cool um so kind of like when did sort of the love for fighting games and sort of like streaming did it it did it automatically meet head to head and uh you know uh what kind of like inspired you to kind of bring these two worlds together and start streaming wow you know what that's like kind of that that is actually kind of what happened there there's there's this uh channel I, i don't think they really stream very much anymore but they were panda x gaming and they used to stream lobbies for street fighter 4 and uh and people would just go in there and fight and people would just like spectate and it was like a big deal it was like a decently sized channel especially for the time where everybody would just like hang out and that would be the lobby to like go showcase your skills and uh and and i i was still new to twitch like my friend had told me about it and i had just like left uh my uh current job and i was kind of just trying to figure out what i wanted to do like job wise Right. And then uh, I popped on to, to Twitch because my friend told me about it. And I see uh, this lobby. And I'm like, oh, let me hop in there. So I jump into this Street Fighter 4 lobby for Pandex Gaming. And I start playing my Ibuki. And I go on like a 10, 12 win streak. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I was kick- I was surprisingly kicking some ass. I was like, wow, I'm doing really good. And the chat, it was great to see like feedback. And people were like, man, I can't tell if this Ibuki is really good or really trash. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it was just so cool to be able to, like, you know, basically make your gaming interactive with people to spectate and talk with. And and I was like, dude, I should try to figure out how to do this. Not as a job at first, but I was just like, this could be really fun. So I could start sharing my game footage and stuff. And I bought like a capture card and hooked stuff up and made some extremely cringe content for the next couple of months. Hey, that I, I can't. We all do. We all do, buddy. it's so bad dude but uh yeah then uh eventually i realized i saw people that were doing it as a job and i found myself more concerned with my number of followers and like trying to grow my channel and uh things like that so that became my focus for like the next 10 months or so before i finally got a lucky break and uh and actually hit like a community and started getting some numbers and then I got partnered and then 
I kind of rolled with it, uh, you know, but like, man, that's getting started streaming as a whole other conversation. But yeah, it was like rough beginnings and I'm kind of glad too, because that means nobody got to watch me be extra, extra cringe, you know? I mean, it's, I, I feel like I always respect people who do something that they're not good at or you know they go through the pains you know what i mean they weren't they weren't like a comedian or an entertainer before and you know they kind of just they did this thing they gave it a shot and they stuck with it even though it was you know it wasn't easy at first and that's always something that there's a lot of people that would just like i mean i'm sure you've met them before but there's always people that will just talk shit to you about like being bad at something when realistically they've never been good at anything in their life because they've never gotten past the part where they were bad you know what i mean like there's yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with being bad at anything and no, i i always respect to getting good right yeah and and i always respect people who go through that process of like well they're here for a reason because they took feedback they you know they went they were bad at it and but they kept going you know yeah, I feel like it's less of a skill thing when it comes to streaming, and it's more of like a behavioral thing that that gets fine-tuned. Like, it's not like you stream... Str like, streaming and being bad isn't really, like, the same thing as, like, oh, I, I'm learning a new skill like uh, carpenting, and you're going to get better as you go, or, like, you know, like a traditional skill. Like, most of the people, when they start streaming, they have... There's... Man, how do I say this right? There's like this level of like egotism, narcissism, you're full of yourself, uh, or you act like, you know, like it's a like a 10 minute YouTube video and you'll be yelling too much or you'll be like kind of annoying. It's sort of like when you watch like, okay, it's sort of like how, you know, you used to watch um, annoying orange videos and they'd only be like two, three minutes long. Sure. And then imagine if you stretch that orange, annoying orange to like a four, eight hour stream. Like you'd be over it in the first 30 minutes to an hour before it would start to like, uh, like really, really just like be uh, annoying and frustrating and not want to watch. I feel like a lot of people try to be YouTube personalities or, um, you know, they, they have it in their head that like they're the this is my channel. I'm the center of everything. And it's more of like a self-fulfilling uh, ego thing. Yeah. And, and less of an like an entertaining thing. And and that's not just like a like a personal thing. I, I see like. A lot of people, when they start out, even if they do get lucky and, and hit like this, uh, a, like hit an audience, that once the audience stops or if the audience isn't uh, perpetuating their ego or like inflating them or if their numbers die, it's not really about the streaming or the entertaining. It's more about themselves. And it's in like little subtle things where like I saw, like there was a lot of people where I saw where they, I'm like, oh man, you know, they, they're blowing up and they're getting all these numbers and I'd be like really jealous. But they would have like this awful narcissistic ego about the way they talk to their chat and the way that they would talk about their body language or whatever. But then as soon as like the view started to die, they just never did it again and they mm. just don't stream anymore. You know, and I just feel like streaming is a lot of highs and lows and like there's this, yeah. I, I think I, I think I think you get what I mean, right? Yeah. I don't know. No, no, absolutely. Be too meta. Like, no, it's it's not meta at all. Uh, it, it there's like 
like you have to do it because you love it and it's something you want to do is is another part that i'm, I'm kind of hearing from it as well right, yeah it's just like it's like part of who you are it's like it's like you want to share your love with other people you don't want it to be a you don't want the love to be about you you know what i mean um, right. it's like like a purist mindset where it's just like i enjoy playing video games and sharing that experience with other people yeah and sharing it yeah i mean i am sorry uh, we're gonna no, no it's, it's okay it's just um it's like I, i'll put it this way like i have a lot of people that i like to watch and i like a lot of people a lot of creators that i like to follow and a lot of things that i enjoy and i feel like the those people do not get the attention that they deserve whereas like i watch other creators and 90 percent of it is that sort of that ego thing you talk about and i don't get like i don't i don't get it like i feel like other people deserve that sort of attention more than than they does that make sense yeah it you does know? but also it's it's sort of like the thing that does often get attention and numbers is controversy or being ugly but you get those numbers but it's also self-destructive and the people that are following you don't really care about you so it's like this you know you have to realize what your priorities actually are it's like are you trying to like enjoy streaming and content and share that with other like-minded people and have like like a nice audience or are you trying to like go the this route where you're just like controversy and and anger and it's like oh yeah you got like 300 viewers but like everybody hates you and they're toxic and yeah it's, it's like an awful community you, you see that a lot on like really big streamer communities uh, versus really small streamer communities and there's definitely like there's a such thing as like qual uh quantity versus quantity even in the streamer's audience or their their fans or their community because it's like do you want to constantly be like having a preschool for a bunch of like toxic people in your chat all day or do you want uh, a chat that will self-police and focus on you know having fun together on whatever you guys are doing yeah uh, that's that's true too yeah exactly yeah. Um, I, and it's i i oh i was just gonna say i totally noticed what you guys are saying because i think uh i i kind of disagree with you in the fact that like i think regardless of what you're doing i think kind of the showmanship is also kind of a skill and a craft because you realize there are a lot of huge streamers out there that blew up before they kind of realized what good showmanship is and sometimes like the kind of seedy undertones of their personality start coming through and you're like mm -hmm. oh this is really uncomfortable and yeah. versus the other ones that can just be like stove faced keep it in we're, we're still doing a show you know what i mean yeah dude self-control and self-reflection is a big name in the game and that's why like down the line a lot of people that do youtube or streaming you know a lot of them struggle with a uh you know, the, uh, they struggle with a lot of uh, mental issues um, and dealing with like attaching your self worth to numbers. Uh, exactly. You know, your exactly. value of like, oh man, people don't watch me anymore. You like, I feel like I'm a joke or this and that. But you yeah. have to like, you kind of have to get past that stuff and realize like, numbers don't mean really much anything. Like, I know people that'll have like well over a hundred plus viewers. But they never get um, like support, and their community doesn't really care about them, or the or maybe they're just botting. Botting's pretty common too. Yeah. But uh, no, I've, I'll see people with only like 10, 20 viewers or something like that, but they have the the coolest community, and that community supports them financially when they're in trouble, or uh, you know they, you know, there's like a, this genuine like wholesomeness about it where it's it's not really about the numbers you know and like a lot of people like oh i need 300 
uh, I need like a, a couple hundred viewers for me to matter or be important. Otherwise, like it's just self-fulfilling garbage where it's like, oh, you feel like you need numbers. What for? To like prove so you can like flex it to other people or like yeah, if so you're you not building have... a relationship with your community, <clears throat> then like it, it's not going to it's it's just going to it's more toxic than either of you are really going to want to. Uh, it, yeah, like, it, that's it can be. Yeah. Um, Give me I'll, I'll say two things here. Give me 10 people that I enjoy talking to over 100 people viewing me any day. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it's sort of like the you get 10, 10 people with a good conversation is more fulfilling than like, you know, oh, well, 100 people are watching. OK, cool. The homies is the homies, but but right? like you really but really there's something more fulfilling about like having an honest conversation yeah. with with 10 like really nice people. I would love uh, yeah. that. That that's like what when we have we have Common Rider Club in my Discord. We watch Common Rider uh, every Monday, and that is like one of my favorite things to do because there's like six people in there, six like really solid people come in every Monday. And they come in and chat just about the show, and it is one of the most fun things ever. That's um, a good amount of people, man. That's that's a good amount of people. Yeah, I mean, and I guess the other thing, too, about, you know, what you're saying about, like, the numbers thing is the problem is, is that everything about streaming tells you that numbers matters. Exactly. And I and I've fallen into this trap more times than than not. And it's like it, it's sort of it's it's that literally everything tells you that numbers are the only thing that matters. But really, it's more about just being yourself doing what you enjoy doing and like maybe you know you could put up put on a maid outfit and entertain people but <laughs> is that really what you want to do like yeah, yeah. Or like at the end of the day can you look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of what you've done you know yeah. like i don't want to i don't want to name any names but there was a guy like 10 years ago and yeah. he was like a grand theft auto streamer and i remember he had big views um because he was trying to get partnered and uh, namely just trying to get that partnership. And then, and he would do like really deprig, like, like humiliating, he'd fart into his mic and he would just like, you know, just stuff that would just like, it got the views and everybody and, and everything. But then once he got his partnership, he's like, you know, he wanted to do some other stuff. And then like, nobody watched him, you know, because he wasn't, because they weren't, he wasn't their clown anymore. Yeah. So then, you know, he went from, it was like a lot of views. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like, it was really good and then next thing you know he's got no like nobody's watching him like nobody at all and nobody supports him or sends him any money and when they did send him money it was like you know you know be my clown you know you know be my little dance you know. monkey dance. yeah exactly exactly that sort of crap and it's like mm -hmm. well okay you got your partnership and all you accomplished but now do you have your self-respect you know like i've done some goofy stuff too but i've never really done anything that i would look back on and you know, I might cringe in like a funny way, but I'm, yeah. you know, I'm never going to look back and go, oh, no, you know, so, like my self-respect. See, usually it's like I look back at what something that I did in the past and I'm like, eh, it's kind of cringe. But like a year or two years ago or something and I could be like, oh, yeah, that's cringe. But I'm also like, well, yeah, but I'm learning. You know what I mean? It's not like one of those things where I'm like, oh, I absolutely regret that or um uh, but the the only kind of community I can think of that's like truly 100%, you know, like there for that person and there for the community is sort of like 
Maximilian stream is yeah, like Maximilian. the only. I knew, I knew you were gonna. You say knew that. I was gonna oh, say. God, I'm sorry, love man. Him. They love him, and dude. He, he loves. He loves them. It's great. It has a very like sort of good balance of uh, you know. I've, there's there's not too many people that have that sort of like that at least I know professional professionalism but also like a, a sort of like a community around him that's like honest and sort of you know what I mean he doesn't do like he doesn't have to do goofy shit and when he does it's just Max being him you know just, what I mean it's, it's goofy shit his way he's having fun he's not He's not just selling it to them. He's making something that both well, he enjoys. <laughs> he knows his audience. It's, Sometimes it's he does sell stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's him being genuine and professional. Like honestly, it's what you should aspire to be. Because like, I, I I think people really underestimate how difficult it is to maintain professionalism and be genuine and also cool and laid back while playing fighting games. While like you know, from our perspective, we're like, oh yeah, we love Max and like. Oh, everybody loves Max. Like, dude, Max has just as many haters as he has people that love him. Yes. And it, it's got to be difficult to be playing fighting games and having all these people be like, oh, Max trash and oh, I beat him in third strike or I beat him in this. And, you know, Max isn't even that good or like, they're, oh, they're think, missing the know, point. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it can be difficult. My, my, my point being is that it can be difficult to maintain salt levels in fighting games of all things. Oh, yeah. Fighting games will bring out the ugliest side of anybody. And uh, I, that's the thing that impresses me the most is that he can still like lose or have a hard time and not let the salt get to him. Like that's that's kind of where I'm like, man, I really need to work uh, on skill. that. No, to, to, skill. Yeah. to be fair, I I yeah, I still 100 uh, percent get salty every time I play it. And not only that, but like recently, but not maybe like even a few months ago i would let people come into the chat and bother me but realistically you know you have to realize that those people aren't there to actually enjoy the game or watch you you have to realize that they're just there for as a as a as a representation a representation of chaos you know what i mean they're just there mm -hmm. to try to pick at you and fight you but uh, I'm not gonna lie. I when people do that, I just instantly ban them now. So um, of course, but yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh no, that's a viewer, and I don't want to ban a viewer unless I have to. And I used oh, to yeah. think like that, but it's like they're not worth keeping around. They're no. toxic. No, most of the time they'll be gone within like 20 minutes, like th 30 minutes maybe. They're not like if you ignore them, they'll just go away. Or yeah. or if they're really truly like, hey, I'm not up for this today ban that's what i do now yeah um, i just have them ban them and i don't even acknowledge their existence and if they come back i just don't yeah that's like, not worth no attention it's, not worth it's like feeding ducks you know <laughs> you, you give them some bread they're all gonna gather around look i don't like oh so here's the other thing i want to differentiate because there are certain communities that will they give their mods like free reign like hey you don't like this if the mod doesn't like the guy go ahead and ban them you know what i mean but for mm -hmm. me it's sort of like to an extent, if somebody like is being competitive in some kind of way or I, you know, I'll kind of be like a little lenient with them, especially when I'm playing like games with them. But because they're like another fellow fighting game player. But if they're just some guy just coming through, like, you know, then forget about it. Yeah, it's more of like a personal thing. It's not so much being trolled, but like a game will get to me or something like that like i've yeah. definitely done some things that i regret saying and like there was like a there was someone i was playing in my chat a long time ago and 
and uh, I was playing I was Blaze Blue Cross Tag or something like that, and I got crossed up with an auto. Like I crossed him up, but his auto combo corrected. Oh. Like, he whiffed the first normal and auto corrected to the other side, and I got hit and lost. And I got so salty, and I said some like really mean stuff. Yeah. That I wish I hadn't have said, and I'm just like, man, I really wish I had more self control, <laughs> and like, because I really hurt that dude's feelings because he really enjoyed my stream. And uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was very mean and salty. And uh, like he still comes around every once in a while. But, but I was like, I man, mean, dude, that was so uh, that's like one so of in terms of like to. salt and like pressure moments getting to people. That's something I find really funny in uh, uh, like pro players who try to make me jump into streaming. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Can they not contain it? Most of the no, time? they can't. <laughs> dude. That's what I'm telling you, man. Oh, it's man. It's a skill. It just comes flowing out and it's like, damn, just a damn burst. And it's like, oh, yeah, he needs like 10 minutes to cool down. I'm going to leave the stream for like 15 minutes. Yeah, I dude, I've, I have analyzed this so much. And the biggest <laughs> problem is that streaming requires you to think out loud and when oh, you're yeah. when you're thinking headspace is negative is filled with the most toxic angry garbage <laughs> that just, just, just starts spewing out of your mouth you're like oh, buda, 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 yeah. oh yeah it's, it's so it's so funny watching uh pro players that don't like have that self-control just switch over because yeah. you're just like the wildest things come out of their mouth and it's like yo <laughs> Is this guy uh, trying to get a band speed run? <laughs> it goes back to if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So oh, that yeah. just ends up being like a no commentary stream. For real. For Bro. real. <laughs> yeah, you don't even know, like, oh my God. Like, I've had, I've had like games with like, I played against Juicebox during the last beta. And man, he beat my ass like it I know, was not I know juice box. <laughs> okay so i played with him against guile again so like first of all juice box is a wizard in terms of fighting i know you know this he's amazing and he he his able in street fighter 4 was legendary absolutely that, that's where i kind of started following him right and mm -hmm. uh and so when i played him in the third beta he broke down uh, the matchup. I had no idea of the Luke Guile matchup. I was playing Guile, uh -huh. and uh, man, he was able to outzone me with Luke, um, it, to an extent. And and it took, but the problem is, is you have two games. You've got two games to figure out the zoning process between Luke and Guile. And Juicebox mm -hmm. already knows. He's like already on that page. So it's literally you just trying to decipher the puzzle that is like Juicebox's knowledge. And like basically he's like a mile ahead of you. Uh, I can't. I'm still salty about how bad he beat me. Um, I, 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 am, <laughs> I know. I know. That's the thing. But you know what I say to myself when, when that happened? I was like, damn, I got to play him more because you know that's what exactly what you need in terms of of like playing someone is you need somebody who knows what's going on who knows like what you're doing wrong that's what you could game. do better yeah because they're gonna, willing to articulate it yeah yeah and he can articulate it and be like all right so god i didn't realize this but that's a 50 50 matchup from what he had said or at least i believe that's what he said it's like a 50 50 matchup because they have like the same zoning ability um and uh, but yeah, that like I kind of I'm attracted to that where I'm like, okay, 
he beat my ass. Yes, I'm salty. But then that's like that's sort of the torch where I'm like, all right, I need to go that way. That's, you know, um, but I do also I get salty all the time. But but yeah, it's 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 definitely so difficult not to vocalize on that. Stream, on stream. Yeah, I, I don't I don't ever tear people down. I'll say that. But I do have like a like a mean mug, like I'm pissed off. Look, I'll say <laughs> yeah. that for free. Angry yeah. now. I, angry, the Puka ain't gonna, yeah, like, might as well, yeah. Um, so we kind of, uh, we, we kind of like went over a little bit, like, what got you into streaming? But to continue this, this interview here, what made you choose the name Battle Athlete? And does it have like oh. any kind of spe- like special meaning behind it? It does actually. Like, when I was in the Marines, um, I needed to, uh, I think it was to come up with an email or something. And I was really into this anime called Battle Athletes, which is basically like this all females like Olympics, but it's like in the future. And they uh, they're training for basically like the space Olympics where they like run really fast and jump really high. And I was just like a big fan of that. And I even have a tattoo of it on on my left bicep. And I was in the Marine and I played, I was in the Marines and I played a lot of fighting games and I was thinking like, you know, battle athlete, someone that's training in battle or something, you know, like basically a version of that. So it was like the nineties anime battle athletes. And I was thinking, you know, an athlete, like someone that's yeah, basically training to fight. And then, uh, when gamer tags became a thing for like Xbox 360, uh, on Xbox live and stuff, I needed a tag and I was like, Oh, battle athlete. And then it just, that just became my alias for everything. It was just uh, like basically that. Right. I feel like there needs to be a like a how-to like video on how to choose a good gamer tag because your story was immaculate. Like <laughs> I can never <laughs> choose a, a good gamer tag to sh- like for the life of me. Like I have five different ones and I hate them all. But like that was an amazing story. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, so where'd you where'd you come up with the uh, the name uh, Pickle Doug? Oh, you're like, I don't know. I just thought it was a funny name. Yeah, I just, I just laughed at it, bro. That was amazing. I, have you seen that episode of Rick and Morty? Like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, my name like is uh, Pickle Doug because I like Pickle Rick and my name is Doug. <laughs> yeah, that's, just, that's, that's how it works for me. So your story, your version is way better. <clears throat> also, uh, I think I first, to run it back a little bit, I think when I first met you, uh, it was when we, I had played Power Stone against you. And th- that's oh, the first. Yeah. yeah, I played. I played some games of Power Stone against you, and it was because I love Power Stone. And I'm like, how is this game played like at sort of like a higher level? Like, how? Do- what does that even look like? Because I don't know, right? And so, like, I I would always kind of be into Power Stone, like looking. And then on Twitch, I had favorited the category Power Stone, so okay. I clicked on it and I found your stream. And uh, boy, you! I got bodied in some Power Stone. Did, did pretty like damn twenty zero or something. Say I was pretty bad, right? And uh, yeah, so to, to run it back to the like getting salty, uh, I I didn't get salty, but somebody in your stream had said something about me winning a game, and you got <laughs> mad salty at that person. I did? What did yeah. I say? You said, oh yeah, like he beat me one game, but I beat his ass so far. And it's <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, ouch. Damn, bro. I'm sorry. 
You gotta like, he's already like lying in the dirt, but since yeah, he's it's like, yeah, grind him in, it's like, like I just, I just got one. The pro, the problem is that guy was like, I don't think you knew that that guy was kind of trolling you in retrospect. So I'm like, all right, yeah. all right, I don't blame him. He's kind of being trolled like, right no now. Context, context is hard to read when you're no. yeah, you can't tell. No, I get it. But you just like you're in the crater like Yamcha and like just like spit on you too. Like, geez, man, what the hell? Yeah, that was a little bit of what. That was a little bit of what it was, but it's it's all good, man. I came, I came back, right? I came back. Got that one. Got that one. I got that one. Um, uh, so with like your whole stream aesthetic, kind of like add to that is. I noticed that you have a ginormous sort of like 90s like and particularly Capcom like game art style going around your stream. Mm -hmm. uh, like what was sort of the what would you say is is your like top influences for um, your kind of your taste in 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 artwork? So around 2017, I pretty much just like I wanted to completely rebrand my channel with like uh, my own original character and like aesthetic and stuff. And mm -hmm. I had already gone for like a synthwave, like 80s kind of vibe with like uh, the channel layout and like font and some other stuff. But I, I kind of wanted to shift over to having my own character for like emotes and stuff because I got to that point where I didn't want my stream to be about me. You know, and kind of going back to what I was saying about egos and stuff, like when you start out, it's all about you and you have like emotes of your face and emotes of like you. And it's just like, it's all about yourself. And I was like, I don't really want it to be about me anymore. I want it to be like, I want, I want it to be about a character that represents like the brand and, you know, have like my own designs. And so in 2017, I reached out to uh, Angry Angry D, D Sloogie. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was before he like blown up like he's like everybody knows who he is now but like this was like super early he had like less than 4,000 followers on twitter and uh i hired him to help me finalize the designs on my character and make some animations and and do some uh channel banners and stuff and he did it for like so cheap for what he would charge somebody now yeah and me and him ended up being you know we me and him ended up becoming friends just by chance because <clears throat> we just enjoyed a lot of the same stuff and we were talking and and then like within the next year he had completely like helped me rebrand my channel and and we're still like best friends now like i saw him the other day and and he and he'll always like make uh art and animation and stuff for my channel and help me like essentially rebrand and capture that sort of Capcom art style from like the 90s and stuff because he's a big fan of that era as well and inspired him when he, when he was a kid so uh, it's really honestly all thanks to him and his art and, and animation and just fortunate enough to have him as a friend you know what I mean um, and, and I just want to ask this like quick question really quick is your avatar heavily influenced by a character from Waku Waku 7 yes <laughs> <laughs> I knew it I knew yeah, it, man. People assume it's Arena from Waku Waku Seven, but the problem, but the thing was, is like, like their ears are different, and I, I, I tried to combine three different things that I like: Akari Kanzaki from Battle Athletes, which is what my name is based off. That's why she wears a runner leotard, right? And the color scheme and print is supposed to be like Battle Athletes. Then like the, uh, the midriff leather jacket and gloves is supposed to be kind of like uh, 
the major from like Ghost in the Shell, just kind of going with that like leathery 80s vibe and, and the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a big fan of like those rabbit ear style uh, hairstyles. Like Akari Kanzaki has these two rabbit ear looking things that are just supposed to be part of her hair. And I also like Arena's rabbit ears, but they're kind of, but like Arena's ears are actually fairly short. They kind of stop at her shoulders or a little bit below her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted like really long, like flowing, almost like scarf ears. But at the end of the day, like the silhouette is still like really similar to Arena. So everyone's like, oh, it's just Arena. Because when you look up Arena, a lot of people in fan art for Arena give her like really huge ears, kind of like the way I draw my character. But if you go to the actual game, she has kind of like straight rabbit ears that kind of stop at her shoulders. But people take a lot of liberties with the design for fan art. So. But I, I, I'm at the point where I don't even argue it anymore. They're like, oh, you basically just ripped off Arena. I'm like, sure, whatever. <laughs> hey, hey, man, like, like that's why I got to ask, because it's like when I see her, the first thing that comes to mind is Waku Waku 7. But in my mind, I'm like, how many people know about Waku Waku 7? Apparently yeah, more than yeah. I think. You know what I mean? Apparently more. Trust more me, than yeah, I, realize. I thought the same thing, but Twitter Twitter lets me know all the time. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, always kind of like, looks like Arena. Oh, that's a really cool picture of Arena. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And then, uh, in oh fact, and in fact, my character looked like some other characters I didn't even know existed. Uh, apparently, she looks more exactly like this character from uh, a game called Newman Athletics. Never heard, never heard of yeah, that. Yeah, it, it looks just like her. With like the running outfit and the, and the jacket and the hair, I'm like, holy crap! It looks just like her, but I didn't even know she existed. Maybe they ripped you off. <laughs> yeah, they they used the time machine to go to like back from the Super Nintendo Neo Geo era. Oh shit! That far back? Yeah, dude. It's like it's like a, an old game. Uh, had a sequel go look those off. up. Here, yeah, yeah. If you looked it up, uh, the character's name is Shannon. If you type in like Newman Athletics or Mock Breakers. The coolest mm-hmm. thing about those games, uh, Max has actually, I think, played them once on stream, which is how I saw him, because like, he's a big fan of games from that era too. But like, it's basically a collection of mini games in a game. Uh, so like, it's you versus, I think, what, three of your friends. Like, it's a 4v game, and you just like compete at oh. whatever, like five mini games to win the overall title. It's very cool. Maybe, you know what? Maybe uh, what it was like Sunsoft that made Waku Waku 7, but also. Waku Waku 7, I believe, is on the Neo Geo. So maybe they, yeah. like, ripped off themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. It was originally a Neo Geo uh, game, and then it came to Sega Saturn in Japan. Right. Um, okay, so... <clears throat> what are... To kind of, like, lead into this a little bit, what are your top five favorite Capcom games? Oh, wow. Dude, that's a... Oh, what a great question. It's just like I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, uh, top five, Capcom. Um, does that include crossovers? Yeah, any any sure. game yeah. related with Capcom, yeah. that's fine. Okay. Oh, man. Ch- choosing my five favorite children here, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Pick your for which one's your favorite. Um, dude, okay. The other one's going jealous. Yeah, for... Uh, don't hold me to the exact to this exact order. Hold it to you. Number- Okay, <laughs> number five. Number five. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make Third Strike. Uh, I love Third Strike, but it's like I'm not that. I'm not that great at uh, Third Strike competitively. My parries aren't consistent. Uh, top tier in that game is very oppressive, but it's still like a beautiful game and you know amazing soundtrack. I mean, it's Third Strike. You know what do I Absolutely. need to say, right? And then 
probably fourth would be oh man um probably capcom versus snk1 because like we were talking about it earlier like the presentation's really good where it's like the scene transitions and and the characters and just i don't know it there's something so charming where you could tell that they like really went above and beyond trying mm-hmm. to like push that game like for just presentation overall with like the music and everything in the stages um and then my third one would probably i'm torn between like alpha 2 and alpha 3 yeah probably I love gonna those have games. to go with alpha 2 what, which one is your favorite between Alpha 2 and Alpha 3? Uh, I love Street Fighter Alpha 2, uh, but that's only because it's the only... Like, I don't understand Alpha 3. I haven't played enough Alpha 3 to understand the game. Mm-hmm. There was a moment in time where... So, I would I had a emulation machine in my household. And, and so, I built... Uh, I bought a, a bare bones um, arcade cabinet that had no machine inside it. I think it was like a Top Golf arcade cab. Yeah, like a and, like a gutless cab. Yeah, it ha- it didn't even have like a CRT in it. So what I did was I I bought it for like a hundred or ninety dollars, and then I brought it to my house. I fixed it up, and then I basically installed a uh like a think lenovo think station or something like that inside of it and then i basically built an emulation machine around that um so in that i had like multiple games so i would have people come over and we would have like tournaments of games so we play like alpha 2 on like a friday night or saturday night people would like be drinking and what i did was i basically introduced my co-workers at the time to a whole bunch of arcade games they had never played or even heard of like they didn't know about fighting games but i like have them play marvel versus capcom one you know like um and believe it or not these guys were, were only people that would play like uh, call of duty or you know any kind of like anything modern and right. y- you know what happened they fell in love with fighting games which is awesome um, yeah, you got them hooked, right? Yeah, so one of the games that I kind of got them into was Alpha 2 because I was like, you know what? I really want to play Alpha 2. Alpha 2 seems like a great game, and I want to learn how to play it. So yeah, I like... I, great fundamentals. Yeah, I, 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 I picked it up. I started learning how to play it. And um, so Alpha 2 is the only game I've ever really delved into because of how much the community has always said, hey, you know what? Alpha 2, not Alpha 3, Alpha 2. Alpha 3 is okay, but Alpha 2 is better. And I think right. it's be- because I was always always much more of a uh cuz I'm I'm we in August are from the East Coast. Uh we've always been into like NLBC and like so that kind of goes into Too Old Too Furious and uh like with things like people like Nerd Josh, Spooky and like all those people that Arturo they're, they're from that that community. Um so I would watch Alpha 2 tournaments. And so I'm like, okay, Alpha 2 is the game. That's the best al- that's the best Street Fighter Alpha game. So for me it's, it's 100% Alpha 2. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, even with even with that history, uh, Alpha 3's got a lot of Vism combos that can be super busted and difficult to deal with and if you don't learn your Vism combos, you're going to be in uh, 
pretty bad shape, you know, and whereas Alpha 2, there's still some Vism shenanigans, but it's not yeah. really as bad. And it's definitely more fun mental based. Well, not only that, but like you don't have to have like I don't have to give a history lesson on each like Vism or ism to like be able to play the game. I can just be like, all right, this is the game. Here you go. Figure it out. And right. then, you know, you only have like one mechanic to worry about. Whereas like with Alpha 3, there's like three different style selects and, you know, I would have to sit there and like learn about each one. I feel like that's why people like Street Fighter 2 because it's a little Alpha 2 because it's a little bit str more straightforward. It's Yeah, it's like a prettier Street Fighter 2 that uh, revolves around footsies, neutral, fundamentals. You know, it's less about like long strings or gimmicky combos and stuff like th those things still exist. Yeah. But most people can still enjoy it on a casual level, which is uh, probably why uh, Marvel 2 is so successful, because Marvel 2 is both sh like it sh Marvel 2 can be a shallow kiddie pool where casual people can have like a great time and think they're amazing. But it also mm -hmm. has so much depth where there's just like this super high, low skill like, floor, ceiling. high skill ceiling. Yeah, See exactly. That's basically what I'm trying to say. See, for me, is I don't like Marvel 2 as much as Marvel 1 because, like, let's say you take out, like, Red Venom and all of those characters. I think it's a, f it's a good game. Whereas, like, it feels like Marvel 2 is so top tier that, like, you only see so many of the same characters over and over and over again i don't i i kind of prefer the small cat that's just me and i i maybe i'm biased here because more i started with marvel one you know on the dreamcast mm -hmm. so it's it's not like you know uh i didn't really find out about marvel 2 in the high tier until like i don't know like no frills wouldn't stop talking about marvel 2 but uh <laughs> but yeah like Marvel one all the way for me. There would be a honestly, there was a time that I would have basically parroted everything you said about Marvel one mm -hmm. until I started playing Marvel one competitively, and uh, like even outside of like Gold War Machine and like Red Venom and stuff like that, dude, Wolverine is freaking garbage broken in that game, dude. Yeah, the damage he pumps out and the mix-ups. Um, same thing with like regular war machine or um or like gambit like like high level in marvel one is maybe i don't know debatably not as oppressive as marvel 2 but uh i i, I learned playing marvel one on arcade one up machines mm -hmm. that uh yeah the the, the that game is way more oppressive and everyone has to pick Colossus and Colossus is annoying <laughs> as hell as an assist because he just flies in with the shoulder does big boy damage it interrupts yeah. anything and then they get to go into like a full combo or like um, it's just uh, the, yeah the, the stuff that happens in that game is just like at least in Marvel 2 the stuff that happens in Marvel 2 there's like I have to respect the execution that's required of like playing Magneto and a lot of the stuff that people do in there, like triangle jumps and things. Yeah. But Marvel One, it's like I'm just like Wolverine's like Thunderclaw or whatever, and you're like and you're like, Oh god, now I'm dead. Like it's so stupid. Well oh, it's annoying. I mean it's I feel like it's not as bad as X Men versus Street Fighter. Where it's literally like you get touched and you die. But um oh, that's I mean maybe maybe it is. I mean yeah, X Men even though it takes some skill. The, the Wolverine bread and butter combos are so fucking easy. 
Like they're not even they're not even infinites. He just like he does a dive kick and then it's like a mix up. And if he he can like sweep you and then you eat a thunder and it's like fucking seventy or eighty percent. You're like Jesus, dude. Um, <clears throat> I also liked yeah. X Men v Street Fighter because I could pick I could pick my two favorite character. I could pick Ken and I could pick Cyclops, and then oh, I could pick those balance. two together. Yeah. Game and Cyclops is good. Theory. Back then. <laughs> Games weren't actually balanced. You just hoped they were when you shipped them. And there was no update after. <laughs> they were at one point before people broke them. So we have here, actually, we have the top five favorite Capcom games of all time. We had uh, Third Strike, CVS 1, Alpha 2, and we got sidetracked hard on uh, oh, after so that. Sorry, that was it's totally all good. So what's uh, what's um, number one and number two? It was two? a commercial break. We had to come back. <laughs> it's does all good. Does puzzle, does puzzle Fighter count as a fighting game? <laughs> I think so. it's a, it's a, it's favorite Capcom games of all time. So yeah, it, does, it doesn't it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be fighting games. By the way, oh, yeah, Resident oh. Evil. Yeah. Okay, yeah, these kids, it does. Okay. You can change the list um, over if you want. If you want to start from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. All right. I'll, I'll make it quick. So the fifth one, I'm gonna say Azura's Wrath. <laughs> Azur- wow. Really? Yes. I really. <laughs> Even I with really, the DLC ending. <laughs> the three. Yeah, the, the Street Fighter DLC is some of the best DLC that's ever been made. Have you ever seen the Street Fighter DLC for Azura's Wrath? Yes. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's uh, cool, but I mean. It, like it, it, either with that game, you can either get over the fact that the true ending is is through DLC or it's not. Yeah, and the thing I have my own theories about that is that I don't think it was originally supposed to pan out like that. I think originally no. they they were Absolutely probably not. expecting Absolutely. a second game, but then they realized they weren't going to get a second game. They made a DLC instead. Game has fantastic presentation, but um, yeah. and it, honestly, the combat could be a little bit better in my personal opinion. But um, look, it's not Devil May Cry, so <laughs> that's true. Uh, honestly, you know what it is? It also could be the fact that I played it more recently, so it's more fresh in my mind. Fair I enough. That's what it is, you know, because I played it more recently. I'm like, man, this is so good. Um, huh. I would still put Third Strike in there, so I'd probably say like Third Strike is like fourth. You know? Okay. Um, third would still be Alpha Two. Okay. Oh, man, there's so many good games. Dang, how how, how do you there's choose? You know? yeah, there's so many good ones. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's funny because it, most of it does go back to uh, the fighting games, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Devil May Cry One. Ooh, yeah, I think Devil May Cry One would be my second favorite. Like, Just because it was a genre-defining title. Yeah, because it felt it still felt like Resident Evil, but it was action based. Like it was definitely trying to give you horror vibes as you walked around the creepy castle. But then like when something actually showed up, it was just like the rock music cued in and like just I don't know. There was something very special and unique about the first game that uh, I wouldn't say less about the other ones. Just that Devil May Cry 1 had such a unique vibe and presentation from the other ones that just really stood out. It really felt like a Resident Evil action game, you know? Yeah. It's kind of hard to describe. No, I, I know what you mean. I remember playing... I, I, I started with Devil May Cry 1 and uh, for sure, like it, it definitely had some horror elements to it, but also there's like, it's kind of a cool balance because it 
It's like, yeah, you're scared, but then it makes you feel like a complete badass, too. So it's like, yeah, I'm scared of these people, but I can beat them up, so we're cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when you weren't in a fight, it was like this ambiance and this, like, yeah. this, like, creepy horror vibe of, like, walking around this castle. And then it's like, spooky ghost shows up, and you're like, I don't care, I got my giant sword and guns. And- Dante, Dante, Dante's literally like, I would be scared if I weren't such a badass. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> You're like, oh, I would be scared, except for I'm a, you know, a demon hunter or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Devil May Cry two happened, and that's just a complete horror game. You right. know, it's all very, it's yeah, very exactly. scary. Um, uh, what they did. Number one. Oh man. Um, dude. I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is a difficult list, but I want to say Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and like, I'm torn between Marvel 2 and like Puzzle Fighter as my number one. Because I really, really love Puzzle Fighter, like, a lot, but I, st- I feel like Marvel 2 is the GOAT, man. I just feel like that's like, you know, the greatest. So talk up Puzzle Fighter for things. I feel like everyone understands the Marvel level. Sure. What's so special about Puzzle Fighter to you? Puzzle Fighter, like, is there, like, a really unique kind of special game to me because it's, like, it has the same fighting game elements um, but done into a puzzle game, which I don't even know how that translates. But when you play that game competitively, it's, like, man. Like, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words, but it's basically, like, you have to, it's, you know, the same way you'd have, like, Tetris or Columns or something like that, except you're just putting colors together in the form of blocks and then when you destroy them, you send them over to the other side, and you're trying to like fill up your opponent's uh, uh, his his section. But the thing is, is that it's not just about like your own personal struggle to like make everything fit nice and then send it over. You also have to pay attention to them and see what they're doing. If I send over these blocks, are they just going to send them back over to my side? Are they working on something? Uh, how full is theirs? So it's you still have the reads where it's like. Oh, he's, he's building a block over here. Should I send over my blocks now uh, to try to block him from being able to send those to me? Or is he just going to send it back when the diamond shows up? And there's like a whole lot of element of going as fast as possible and juggle, juggling these uh, different colors and building up blocks while also making sure you don't get filled up yourself. And I've always been really good at it, but it wasn't until like I think the past year or two I started playing it competitively um, on Arcade 1-Up, because on Arcade 1-Up, I'm ranked number two on the leaderboards. Baller, sick. Yeah. Um, I, I pretty much grind that out. Like, after I have dinner or something, I'll, I'll boot up the Arcade 1-Up. I'm like, anybody playing Puzzle Fighter? Like, <laughs> am I going to work? Got you next? Know? <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love put it. my quarter up, you know? For like, real. that's sick. That yeah. was the Arcade 1-Up. Oh, such an yeah, awesome I, way to bring back old games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I got like the big blue just so I could play Puzzle Fighter online with people and, and I ended up getting like ranked number two and then also with that uh, Capcom re-release of uh, the fighter uh, Capcom fighting collection. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that uh, brought this whole resurgence of Puzzle Fighter players out uh, and uh, it turns out Alex Valle, uh, you guys know Alex Valle, Papa mm-hmm. Valle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, Uncle Valle. He's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. Um, and it turns out he's a huge Puzzle Fighter fan. And he brought me on his uh, he brought me on his stream 
we and we had and we had like a tournament on his stream and he had me like co-host with him and uh i think i ended up winning the tournament Dang. i don't know how i don't I'm know how. while commentating <laughs> Rick, that's awesome. oh yeah i was i was commentating <laughs> Yeah, I did both. I was like Justin Wong commentating my Yeah, commentating commentating his own matches. He was uh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that that recently Oops. happened where he's like commentating his own match as it's happening. It's hilarious. I don't know how. I don't Bro. know. I, I still think I, I think Papa Vaya gave me the win. I think he was being a nice guy. But, I don't know, man. Yeah. Bro, he but, uh, I I played a game against him in Street Fighter 4 and that wasn't uh that did not he did not give me the win on that one. I'll say hey, that man, for free. He's not one to give wins, so maybe it's just me in my own head. And like, Valle is not one to give something up. No. So I, I must have gotten impressed. I think. Oh, you know what he said? He, I think he said he made a mistake and flipped when he should have flopped on like ah. one of the, on one of the pieces right when it mattered or something like that. But yeah, there was a lot of puzzle fighter tournaments going on, and uh, I also won. The, there's this other Twitch channel. Uh, they have like Puzzle Wednesdays or something like that on Fightcade, and I just happened to catch That's the cool. tournament. I was just playing people on Fightcade, and then I played some dude, and in the chat, he was like, hey, man, you should enter in the tournament. It's about to start. I'm like, oh, really? All right. And I entered it, and I won. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, dude. It was so close. Look, I man, like, I'll go ahead and say it. I think I think Puzzle Fighter should be your number one. I'm just going to say this right now. You know what? I think you're right. Puzzle Puzzle Fighter might. I think it's me. I'm gonna get a Puzzle Fighter tattoo and everything. Puzzle <laughs> Fighter. Marvel Two. Marvel Two. Marvel Two is an easy game to love. Puzzle Look, Fighter I'm, is a hard game to love. I'm gonna that's, put. That's true. Yeah. I'm gonna put Marvel Two here as a 1.5. Here, how about Fantastic. that? Fantastic. That's perfect. Thank you. Marvel. <laughs> 1.5 sounds excellent. 1.5. All right. Perfect. All right. <laughs> Um, now, if you could, last question, if you could relive a, an experience from one game over again, what would it be? Ooh. From any game? From any game. Any game. Oh, man. Probably the first time I played Metal Gear Solid 1. A game is an experience. Yeah, I just feel like, like the, the, I don't like. I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching like a retrospective on like Metal Gear Solid games, and I was thinking about how amazing it would have been if I like had recorded footage of me playing Metal Gear Solid for the first time that I didn't know I was being recorded, so I could just go back and rewatch those genuine reactions of like Psycho Mantis reading my memory card or like the controller vibrating or just the twists and other stuff that kind of unfolded while I was playing Metal Gear for the first time. Like there's there's so many like intricate things. I felt the same thing about Metal Gear 2 and Metal Gear 3, but Metal Gear 1 in particular was like, that was such a big game. And it, it's just kind of sad because once you've played Metal Gear once, you know, you can like, you can wait a little while and play it again and it'd be somewhat new again, but you'll, you'll always remember like the Psycho Mantis scene and like all those other bosses that you run into and the twists and and stuff like that. And I kind of, I just wish I could experience that for the first time again, just cause like, that was like a really, really special game. You know, there's not really like a unique experience like that one. Yeah. Kojima, man, he has a way of just sort of, he has his own unique way of making games. I, I don't think anyone can ever sort of 
recapture that. And uh, I guess that should uh, kind of, it's very easy to bring this up now, but what, what do you think about them remaking MGS3? You think, you think they should remake it? Man, I don't know, dude. Without Kojima and it's Konami and Konami's history of like, like Metal Gear Survive in itself was just like, that, I feel like that was made out of spite. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and so much of Metal Gear, Metal Gear isn't just like a game that anybody can make. You need the right team. Like, everybody gives credit to Kojima, and obviously Kojima is very important to uh, the games that he makes and and Metal Gear and stuff. But it like I was having a conversation the other day with my friend about this, where it's not just Kojima, but it's also the team around him that respects him. Yeah, that that captures that lightning in the bottle, and if you don't have that, you, I don't. I don't know how they could deliver, honestly, without cutting a massive amount of content, going over budget, a lot of the things that they wouldn't want to do. Because the only reason that those Metal Gear games were as good as they were is because they had to go over budget, they go over time constraints, and Kojima had a vision, and you you need somebody that has the vision to make it happen. So uh, it wouldn't be as simple as just like a new coat of paint, like, oh, here's Metal Gear 3, but it looks really pretty. Like, you're going to have to put that in a whole new engine. You know, you're going to have to like, it's not going to be like a simple port. And when you really analyze Metal Gear Solid 3 and how deep and how much content and how much stuff is going on in that game, I just can't possibly see them delivering. It was, wasn't it like a Breath of the Wild level, like system mechanic game of its time? Like he combined so many amazing system mechanics together in one system at a time. And it's like, this is mind blowing that one game graphic, if you put this to pull this off, yeah, it, it, it's not, not a PS2. game that was just in someone's head, but a game that actually comes out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not so much like there was a lot of. Uh, it's not like the engine, like a physics engine, necessary thing. It's just there's so many intricate mechanics and like, like every time you healed Snake, there was like a video that would play that would show him healing himself. Like if he popped a bone back in, or if he used a cigarette to put like burn off leeches. Uh, or every time he ate something, there's like a video for him like eating. Uh, and then there's like all these intricate mechanics where it's like you could spin Snake around uh, in the analyze menu. And then when you close the menu and go back to the He'd game, throw up. throw up. Yeah. Yeah. And that would like interact with other things in the game. And like, I mean, you could just gush for hours about how intricate and how many little details there were in the original game. And I just, I just don't think they'd be able to capture that again without the proper team including kojima you know and but I'm, I'm i'm down to be proved wrong i mean not not to mention they're gonna have to pretend like kojima doesn't exist when they're making this game <laughs> yeah, too yeah. which jeff, is jeff weird Knightley, jeff Knightley won't let them forget bro did you see those those tweets about uh uh konami like announcing the uh the remasters uh, about like uh, the Metal Gear Solid games and like Kojima's name wasn't mentioned in that. Oh, yeah. 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 Immediately tweets like, history. who made the game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They erased his name like so petty. I can only imagine how petty like the stuff that was going on on the business end of that stuff. I'm like, oh my God. You can Absolutely. only speculate, but. Oof. Yeah. It... Je- Jeff Knightley being like the heckler from the back and be like, say his name. How dare you stand where he's stood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's weird, man. It's gonna be weird. It's like it's like I I want to support it, but I also don't like. Right. 
Because it's it's like Kojima is the heart and soul of those games, and like they just own the IP. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be able to like. I'm still kind of mad about MGS5 and how that kind of turned out, which right. I, I think MGS5 is a fantastic game, and I feel like the gameplay was done, but the story was not. Exactly. Like, like it, it, as soon as you got to a certain point in near the end of that game, you realize that there's some like big holes missing uh, in that in that story. So right. they didn't even have a proper ending, like. Yeah. The mechanics and core gameplay were were already fleshed out, but they didn't actually get to complete the story with a proper ending. And there was also uh, mechanics that didn't get completed that were meant to be put in, like because uh, Phantom Pain was basically meant to be a modern uh, Peace Walker. If you ever yeah. played Peace Walker, um, um, I played a little bit of Peace Walker. I actually, I, no, I don't think I did. I don't think I played Peace Walker. I, may, I might have played PSP some of it. One, right? Yeah, that was the one that was on PSP, but it also had like multiplayer and stuff. But basically, in that one, it it has all the mechanics from that one. But uh, do you remember that part where um, you're in that garage area on your base and like Huey is basically there, and there's like a Metal Gear that was supposed to be a garage where you get to make your own like Metal Gear and customize its parts. That was a that was a a thing that was in Peace Walker on PSP. You would defeat Metal Gear and then take out a bunch of the data when you defeated it. And you could use that data to make your own Metal Gear to send out on uh, scouting missions and stuff. So, like, there's little, there's like little remains that you could tell that they were supposed to use it, uh, where they were trying to implement, uh, like, making your own Metal Gear and sending soldiers out on missions and stuff. But they, yeah. they got the, they got that aspect in. But you could see that there's like remains of things that didn't get finished. So. I believe there's also like one whole continent that they had to like take out. Uh, that they were going to add to the game. There's going to be, I think, yeah. it was like there, there was supposed to be like South Africa or something like that they were going to put in the game, or because um, I know they had like Afghanistan or and um, I can't think of the other the actual regions that they were they were meant, but there was like a third region they were going to put in the game. Right. Yeah, and I then that too. And then near the end of MGS Five, it was like they had touted it as the game that was going to answer all of the questions left over from the Metal Gear series. And it was supposed to be this like finale of the of the game. And then it literally just left you with more questions. And um, and the, yeah, it, and then the fact that like it's even more of a slap in the face that uh, Snake in that game or boss, Big Boss, isn't actually Big Boss. He's just some guy who looks like uh, Big Boss. Well, yeah, he's, um, he was the medic that got that was on the helicopter when it exploded with Big Boss on it. Yeah, and then they changed his face to basically look like Big Boss, so he was a fake, basically a fake one. Right, uh, which is like this weird sort of. I don't know. I just wasn't a fan of of how that ended and. I felt like, you know, after that point or even MGS4, you kind I kind of just realized I'm like we're never going to get a proper ending to this story. It's just too wild, you know. I don't yeah. think that was ever going to be a thing. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of like retcons and other weird things that happen. Right. Like, it, it like it uh, contradicts itself like in its own canon. 
What's the thing that's the farthest in the timeline? Is it Revengeance? Or like uh, uh, Revengeance isn't canon. Uh, I'm pretty oh. sure it's Metal Gear Solid 4 is the last in the timeline. Is there... Wait, is Revengeance not canon or it just could or could not be canon if it no, wanted to be? it's not canon at all. <laughs> it's like not even... Some people want to believe it's canon. It's it's 100% not canon. Is there something... That, well, okay, so then I gotta ask you. Is there something in the story of Revengeance that leads it to be not canon or is it just stated as not being canon? I think it's mostly stated and just... I don't know, Raiden's, Raiden has this goofy team of like, you know, it's just, yeah, a lot of it, I think it, I don't know. I'm not, I'm probably not the guy to ask for this. That's fine. That's fine. It's all good. I've been told it's not canon and just like, when does Raiden team up with this campy group of agents to go do agent stuff and then fight a, a, a ripped, like, political leader? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, when did this happen? Was this? Was this before or after he fought the vampire with knives attached to his feet, you know? The yes, immortal vampire? Machines, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it has some of the best insane dialogue of anything I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm, that being said, I fuck, I love Rising. Rising yeah, is so much fun. It, it's one of the best action games of all time, uh, in my personal opinion. But I wouldn't argue with you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely up there with, like, uh, Devil May Cry 5, for sure, in my personal oh, opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Devil May Cry 5 is is honestly, I mean, maybe next to three is my favorite Devil May Cry. But kind of wild, though, that they like I'm excited to see what they do with them with Devil May Cry 6. We ever get that. You feel like we should have gotten something by now, right? Uh, We're working on Dragon Dogma 2. Dragon's Dogma 2 is announced. Get that first. Yeah, I feel like drug, dr- uh, Dragon's Dogma is probably more deserving at this point, you know, like, because that has a pretty cult following, so it's nice that they're getting another game, and Devil May Cry games don't come out that often, man. I mean, Devil May Cry 4 came out in, what, 2006? Something like that? I mean, that was that was forever ago, and then we finally got Devil May Cry Five, like, yeah, but but what, what do you mean? You're saying DMC didn't you know didn't count? You saying that didn't count, man? No, it, it counted towards what? <laughs> Does it have so <laughs> continuity? No. <laughs> no, you're saying what, what do you mean? Uh, like the uh, DMC game, the reboot. The, you're talking about the, the reboot, reboot. The, the the reboot. The, the reboot they, oh my god! I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I was like, holy shit! What are you guys talking about? Oh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, that shit. Yeah, DMC. <laughs> oh, Edgy man. Young Edgy. I, pl- I played that ironically <laughs> and uh, got about halfway or something like that. That was just like, I mean, it's not the worst game ever. But no. What an unlikable protagonist. <laughs> I-, I just think like it could have been called anything else besides Devil May Cry. And I think they would have had like, they at least would have had the team on their, you know, someone on their side as being yeah. a Capcom game. The gameplay here is good. It's just the story's terror. Yeah, no yeah it's not a good Devil May Cry game, like, um, like, like, combat-wise and style-wise. Like, you could do a lot of the same stuff and still get your style up and other things like that. Yeah, but if it was, like, not a Devil May Cry game, it would have been fine. Like, there's nothing really wrong with it at all. No. To be honest. I think combat-wise, it's actually a good game. 
I think that that's like the only reason why there's like the people that are like, no, it's no, it's good. It's like, no, they really think like the combat's good. And that's really what they mean. But um, right. another but good example of that exact same thing would have been like Metroid Other M, where it's like the gameplay itself is fine. But the, the but the way they handled the, um, the IP and the source material uh, was a giant middle finger to what it's supposed to be based on. But the baby, the baby. The baby. Um, yeah, oh, like. Was, so, uh, other, talking about other M, was that supposed to be based on the manga? Or, like, what was the deal with them? Going no, it's supposed to be canon, I believe, where it's. But they had her, like, talking and. They just. The way they structured her made Samus act and was very. That's, it was very not Samus. She was very like obedient, and they just kind of made her yeah to be weak. And yeah, she's not a, a strong female protagonist. She's just like a like a lost and a, woman she's without just an attractive woman that yeah like, told what to do the entire game. And uh, it was made by what was it Ninja Theory who does yeah. Dead, or, uh, Dead or Alive. So she was very beautiful, but it just kind of flipped everything about Metroid on its head. Game is fine. Same thing with DMC. The DMC reboot was, uh, was basically like, the gameplay is fine, but what a middle finger to fans of Dante. For sure. Um, all right. I'm debating whether we should go through this this retrospective now. Is that uh, how deep we, we've gone into the... Started with it. We did get off track real heavy. It, it depends on every, who have, like what people have for time, obviously. But I do want to kind of... I mean... Well, once we once we about 15 minutes, we would hit the two hour mark. So we probably don't have time to go over it too, too much. Um, if we did, I, I know for sure we would go well over two hours. So we we probably want to call it now uh, and then we can we could probably maybe we come back to it another time or something like that. Um, what do you think there, battle athlete? I'm cool with whatever you want to do, man. I'm chilling. All right, man. So, yeah, considering August hasn't actually seen the movie as well, and that no. kind of got... What's up? I mean, I would let it rot just because... I have seen it. I just haven't seen it in, like, a year or two. But, you know. I, I, I actually watched the whole thing not even a week ago. Uh, when the Street Fighter Six beta was down for an hour for maintenance, I was like, well, I guess I'll watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I can survive on you guys' hype. Um, so, if you want to do it, we, I think we can do it. Uh, like, I, I feel like there's maybe like yeah I think we should probably just skip it considering we only have 15 minutes left that's fine we can um, do another time yeah we can, we can do another time we'll have you back on and we, we can uh, we can talk about it but um but yeah, yeah. I just feel bad because we like started the intro by talking about it and then like <laughs> so like can we at least pick like like our one favorite scene from it like can you guys describe to me oh. our one favorite the same favorite scene aren't they give me, is like, it, are you give, me, <laughs> give me give me a taste give me a taste well, give me like, okay something. So, what is my favorite scene? Chun Li Vega, come on! Chun Li Vega, that's a good fight scene. Oh my god, it's a very good fight scene. Especially how she just like kicks him through a wall. It's kind of wild. Like the fact that Guile comes into her apartment after like looking over at the wall. Seeing, <laughs> seeing that there's a hole in the wall, and then just going back to Chun Li and being like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and says like nothing wall. about that it. Like European. That wasn't drywall. That was like <laughs> European stone walls, and she kicked his ass through it. And you're like, Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. Uh, oh my like, god. I like. I feel like that would be the perfect kind of deadpan style humor for Guile, though. Like that. Like that makes it even funny. Yeah. Like, hey, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he doesn't. He wants, he's, he's, nothing about it not even like jesus yeah. you kicked him through a wall it's yeah. it's like the most anime thing ever is just to ignore the glaring like craziness <laughs> of what's going on well, and when he finally was bleeding now. out and dying in his arms i think he had a different priority there oh. <laughs> yeah she's like hey i'm dying here right now can you help me god if it was a marvel movie they probably would have talked about it uh but i don't know probably the chun li fight Man, is it the Chun Li fight? It's gotta be. There's a lot of great moments, but like that's the pinnacle right there. Like as much as I love so many other scenes in that movie, I mean that's the fight. It implements everything about what the movie does correctly, which is like implementing moves from the game and making them look natural in a real life scene. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Like yeah, like Vega's flipping all over that apartment the same way he does in the game. They gave Chun Li her wall jump. Uh, her double jump. Uh, they had her do like spinning bird kick. And like, how do you make spinning bird kick in that game? In the game, look natural and cool, like it's not something silly. And uh, and they did it. She did. She was like on her hands and spinning, and it looked cool as hell. I mean, like, yeah, that that whole thing is just like what what do they call that? There's a term for it. It's um vertical slice. Uh, where like that fight scene encapsulates everything that the movie does correctly right you know it has all the layers like put into one not to mention the 90s grunge rock music that plays over it oh my god yeah I you know honestly I really wanted to like go through and watch the Japanese version soundtrack of that because I want to know if it gives it a different vibe in the same way that like I want to go through and watch Dragon Ball GT again, but I want to watch it in the Japanese soundtrack because the U.S. soundtrack is so trash. Oh, you uh, think so? Oh, wait, yeah, no. You're of right. GT, of GT, yeah, it's yeah, literally right. them, them just like doing like huge guitar, like metal guitar, do do do, and then it's the same track like over every single scene. And, uh, and, but the Japanese version has like a different, you know, uh, audio. Um, and I don't know if uh, it was in this video that I watched actually, but uh, I, I actually found out that uh, Les Claypool actually was overseeing the voice actors on the, the, uh, the voice acting, the US voice acting re- recording of the, the movie. Uh, so I guess he, they wound up were the per, the people that had kind of made a fan video of it, like had had contacted him and they put the U.S. voice actors over the Japanese audio music video of of the of the movie. So there, there's a there's a version of it that has both. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I think the Chun Li fight scene doesn't have the, as oomph as much oomph as it i think that's like one of the shining examples of like the u.s version being better yeah uh, uh, i think the japanese version has like some female japanese uh like music playing in the background it's like supposed to be like empowering female music or something like that if i remember right yeah 
I mean, it also tracks too because she like goes as she gets out of the shower, she turns on the radio, right? And I'm assuming in the <laughs> Japanese version, that song plays. In the US version, it's a little more awkward because she goes, turns on the radio, a, I think a song plays or something, and then it like scene transitions, and then it goes back to her, and then they're playing the rock music when the fight starts. I think in yeah, the Japanese the version, it's like, a little bit more She's the one turning on the music and it's playing in the background. Well, the, okay. yeah, the yeah, exactly. The song is the same the entire when she plays the radio. I think the entire time for the oh, Japanese cool. version, but in America they had they played this. Um, I don't know what genre you call it, but it was like this kind of like it's 90s, like new metal. Yeah, yeah, it was like '90s new metal or something, almost like uh, industrial. That song. Right, right, yeah, like uh, garbage or. Um, uh, that song "Torn" from Natalie, something or other. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because uh, I remember that song came on, and my friends, like my friend's mom, she would actually like listen to that song all the time. So it was funny to us because we're like, she like she listened to that song herself, and then that's what we would think of. Like his his mom like really liked that song, but then it's like the song that Chun Li turned on. Oh man, it's a great song. Um, it's a 90s I also like think of like anime abandon if everybody remembers that the YouTube oh, yeah. channel because that was yeah, his intro around yeah is uh, Bennett the sage yeah he I think he still makes content it's just having to fight the YouTube copyright system is really rough these days well I mean like I, people from our era remember the whole like anime AMV that like phrase where like people were just taking copyrighted music and be like no 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 this is my anime soundtrack to that song <laughs> and that was huge and nowadays I feel like copyright would like shoot that down left and right oh yeah it 100% does like I made a Marvel 2 combo video and immediately got struck you know it's like using music uh, over like anime clips or fighting game clips I mean, there's only so many times you can use Linkin Park on a video. You know, <laughs> but it goes so well with Trunks fighting people. Uh, fighting Broly. You know, like, in that Vegeta music video. <laughs> Dude, the, 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 the most specific example in the world is AMVs using Linkin Park, like, in the end... <laughs> on like an anime fight scene or something like that. That is the most early 2000s thing ever. Yeah, that's like a staple. That's an AMV staple classic. That's like the, that's like an origin story. For real. Like, I'd, I'd love to see a like a, uh, what is it called? Like a reality show? I don't even remember it. Where like, you know, like instead of like showing people's high school looks, they'd be like, you see this person in this business suit looking old with like three kids? Yes, this is the AMV they made. <laughs> and like the skill, and like they just have to like the shock look on their face, and they try to hide it. Nah, nah, that wasn't me. Nah, people put AMVs on their resume. Yeah, I can edit. Bro, bro, I remember like downloading the Broly movie. I'm like, oh, I get to watch the Broly movie, and then it's just an AMV that somebody posted online. Uh, and it's it, yeah, it has like in the end in it, and I'm like, oh, I just want to watch the movie. You know, it's better. <laughs> better than a virus downloading that crap on LimeWare or Kazaa or whatever. Oh my god. Um, I don't know. I would say yeah, the Chun Li fight's pretty good. I mean, other than like the thing that first pops into my mind is like the only thing that's like as good like choreography wise is probably when Ryu and Ken are like 
kids and they're like fighting each other. That's pretty that. good because like the the action is so smooth um, and you really don't get those kind of like choreo like anime doesn't have. I feel like anime doesn't have the budget to like make those kind of action scenes anymore, man. I don't know what I it is. I don't think it's necessarily the budget. I think it's namely that they're made differently um, uh, because it's like things are more affordable now, but like those sort of things still exist. But, um, you know, the same way Street Fighter 2 exists in a bubble in its own time period. Like I said, yeah. there's like, you know, anime that is definitely on par comparable to that same level. It's just they're just as rare as Street Fighter 2 was back in the day, I think. Yeah. There, are, there also aren't as many, like, I don't even know how to say it. Like, so there are martial arts animes now, but, like, everyone is clearly, like, superhuman, superhuman. Like, there aren't too many where, like, it's just like, okay, no, they're, like, this is what we think of as, like, the highest degree of martial artists. Well, the things they can do are superhuman, but, like, they're not exactly. So it's, like, this weird, like, they try to bring realism to a superhero fight. No, I think like, I know I, what you mean. It's sort yeah. of like how in the beginning, Dragon Ball Z was more about choreographed martial arts before yeah. it came about three frames of animation and, and like, teleporting and more like animation uh ways to cut animation or same thing with naruto like naruto started out and it was more grounded in ninjutsu with like uh, hand signs and symbols and then next thing you know it just became who's got the biggest chakra beam you know it uh it kind of steps away from its choreographed fight scenes and more the power scaling ruins the the choreography of the fights yeah exactly yeah i figured that's what you were trying to say yeah, I mean, like, I think up until, like, a good portion of the Frieza saga, I mean, like, once I, I think once, other than a few fights in, like, the Cell and Boo saga, like, Dragon Ball Z is largely a lot of just teleport fighting. It's, like, always annoying when it's, like, they just have, like, giant booms in the sky, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're fighting, and it's like, yeah, just, we're just looking at nothing. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. They just have, Sick, like, the same animations of clashing with, like, and it's just painting across a background shot. Listen, exactly. this is the cheapest way we can animate the fight, okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because you can't see it means it doesn't cost us any. <laughs> yeah, we, gotta man. we gotta save money for the Cell versus Goku fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how they would do it. You, it's all about condensing your budget. You know, that's like the real finesse. That's where, like, like to give you an example, uh, if you guys have watched Hajime, uh, Hajime no Ippo, yeah. you know? Like that, they had such an incredible way of balancing their budget to where they could afford to make these incredible boxing animation scenes. Like when they're in the ring, is that the the downtime in between the fights is where they cut the corners for the animation. You know, they'd be standing around, generic mouth flaps, and you know, just talking about the build up to the fight. But then when the fight actually happened, that's where all their money went. Like that's where like all the flare and flash from the manga comes in full force and just like like the sweat beating off of the characters and them punching each other and you hear like engine like jet engine sounds in the background and Absolutely. it's just like epic and over the top you know like i, for, you, I forever argue with people about this even though it wasn't really much of an argument because they're like yeah yeah you're kind of right but um uh i am forever convinced that deadpool one is a better movie than deadpool two specifically <laughs> because like that scene in deadpool one where he leaves the guns behind supposedly was there because they're like oh yeah we ran out of a lot of our budget for the end fight so we had to be smarter about how we shot the end fight and it was such a tighter product 
Whereas like Deadpool 2, they had way too much money and it was just like, there's a bunch of special effects, but the, 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 the fights aren't as tight. Didn't Deadpool yeah. specifically say, we don't have a lot of money for ammo or something like yeah, that? Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Like maybe they're just like lampshading it or like maybe it was just meta. But I think Deadpool one's the much tighter movie. Whereas the movie with the more money and special effects to me is not the tightest movie. Sometimes less is more and people having to work within limitations forces them to get creative and make something yeah. even more incredible. Yeah. You know, whether it's like video games, like the limitations of like PlayStation one at the time, or like even in movies like uh, Jaws, the first Jaws movie, they originally wanted the shark to show up a lot more, but the mechanical yeah. shark was never working. So instead, like they were forced to like not use the shark and it never showed up, which made it more ominous and actually made the movie better. You know, just like being forced to like work within constraints sometimes make something even better than you planned. Absolutely. Very good. Um, <clears throat> yo, uh, Battle Athlete, where, where can people find you, man? Oh, uh, uh, I'm on twitch.tv slash Battle Athlete. Uh, also got a YouTube channel where I still occasionally post like memes and like I still got a whole bunch of reviews and top tens that are like heavily edited. Um, also got a Twitter. I'm always posting goofy memes or stuff that i made or whatever so i'm around you know <laughs> nice uh yo august where can people find you same back time same back channel as the news gremlin of the backlog podcast nice guys well you can find the backlog uh on instagram youtube we're on tiktok uh we're on uh anywhere you can find podcasts uh but other than that guys this has been the backlog podcast number 55 absolutely do have to have battle athlete back though just to finish this like i wouldn't mind at all man i had a lot of fun yeah. today yeah dude yeah dude we'll, we'll definitely have we'll have you back on uh and we'll we'll definitely do a uh street fighter 2 retrospective and hopefully we can get august to watch the movie uh and, and, bro, and so maybe get quint back on too it's actually tragic because i was in the store the other day and i found the discount bin and they had the the or like the street fighter alpha origins generations movie in there but they didn't have the sf2 animated movie so, uh, like you know I'll, like maybe i'll watch them i'll have a little like double feature and watch them back, back there's actually three street fighter movies and four if you want to count the live action um oh, and assassin's there, fist that's just so good oh no no not not assassin uh, and assassin's fist too uh there's like alpha generations and there's like the alpha movie which sucks and alpha generations is okay um and if you haven't seen it too, uh, Battle Athlete, you should check out Street Fighter Two uh, V if you haven't seen that show. But, oh, the anime series. Yes. It, yeah, it's, I started. I started watching the whole thing, and I think I got to the scene where I think it was Ken was fighting Vega, and then I got distracted and never finished it. So I got about halfway or a good couple episodes in. It's a loose uh, prequel to the Street Fighter Two movie. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, pretty good. I, I really enjoyed it. I remember like loving that show, but it, they made it after the movie because of the success of of that. Which actually, we'll get into it when we review it. But it be, it be but it became the influence that uh, decided the art style of the Street Fighter Alpha series. Believe it or not. Yeah, that's that's actually true. Uh, and and like it's funny that you bring it up because the first thing I think of anytime someone brings up the Street Fighter anime series is like, 
I was like the ambiguous relationship between Ken and Ryu. Like they get naked and jump in the pool all the time. And it's like so many times. That's why I randomly laughed earlier. Uh, it was because I was just thinking about how they're like, hey, Ryu, get in the pool. And they just make it in the pool at the hotel together. Dude, like just a couple of buds hanging guys out. Being dudes. They're just guys being dudes. That's all there is to it, man. Don't read into it. Bros, man. Nothing weird about that. <laughs> Indeed. Well, on that, guys, uh, this has been the Backlog Podcast number 55. We'll see you soon. Peace out, y'all. Peace. Bye-bye.